1 John 1 verses 1 to 4. Let's just pray. Father, as we open your word, we pray that it will give clarity. We pray that we will be able to concentrate. And we pray that as Carl comes up and shares your words with us, that um, that you will give him boldness and that he will be true to your word and that we will receive it and be challenged by it. Amen. 1 John 1, verses 1 to 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. And also um, chapter 5, verse 13 to 15. I write these things to you who who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will he hears us and if we know that he hears us whatever we ask we know that we have what we have asked of him. Thank you Carl. Well, uh, good morning and, and uh, welcome if you're visiting this morning. Uh, it's uh, great to have you with us. We're beginning uh, a new preaching series this morning on the book of 1 John. Uh, and the sermon is really an introduction uh, to the, kind of the themes of 1 John. And I've got two books uh, that we've got for the bookstore that sort of uh, are, are useful. Uh, and one is the book, Am I Really a Christian? by Mike McKinley. Uh, 1 John is, is all about that topic, Am I Really a Christian? Uh, so that's a, that's a useful book to look through and he's got uh, a number of uh, useful chapters in that. And another one which is uh, much smaller, it looks deceptively large because of the thick cover, but uh, Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. You can read that, I reckon, in, I don't know, a week, a chapter a day. But... Uh, that's by J.D. Greer, How to Know for Sure You Are Saved. They're two really uh, useful books uh, on the topic of faith and assurance. And that's what we're thinking about this morning, uh, faith and assurance. And I want to begin by reading uh, the, the, some, some words from J.D. Greer's book, Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. It's quite a long bit that I'm going to read, but I think it's really helpful because... I think it resonates so much with the experience of so many different people. 
So J.D. Greer writes this, if there was a Guinness Book of World Records for amount of times having asked Jesus into your heart, I'm pretty sure I would hold it. By the time I reached the age of 18, I'd probably asked Jesus into my heart 5,000 times. I started somewhere around age four when I approached my parents one Saturday morning asking how someone could know they were going to heaven. They carefully led me down the Romans road to salvation and I gave Jesus his first invitation into my heart. Both my parents and my pastor felt confident of my sincerity and my grasp of the details and so I was baptised. We wrote the date in my Bible and I lived in peace about the matter for nearly a decade. One Friday night during my ninth grade year, however, my Sunday school teacher told us that according to Matthew 7, many people who think they know Jesus will awaken on that final day to the reality that he never really knew them. Though they had prayed a prayer to receive Jesus, they'd never really been born again and never taken the Lordship of Jesus seriously. They would, my teacher explained, be turned away from heaven into everlasting punishment with the disastrous words, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I was terrified. Would I be one of those ones turned away? Had I really been sorry for my sins at age five? And could I have really known what I was doing at age four? So I asked Jesus to come into my heart again, this time with a resolve to be much more intentional about my faith. I requested rebaptism and gave a very moving testimony in front of our congregation about getting serious with God. Case closed. Wrong. Not long after that I found myself asking again, had I really been sorry enough for my sin this time around? I'd see some people weep rivers of tears when they got saved, but I hadn't done that. Didn't that mean I was not really sorry? And there were a few sins I seemed to fall back into over and over again, no matter how many resolutions I made to do better. Was I really sorry for those sins? Was that prayer a moment of total surrender? Would I have died for Jesus at that moment if he'd asked? So I prayed the sinner's prayer again and again and again each time trying to get it right, each time trying to really mean it. I would have a moment when I felt like I got it right, followed by a temporary euphoria. But it would quickly fade and I'd question it all again. And so I'd pray again. I walked a lot of aisles during those days. I think I've been saved at least once in every denomination. Because I understood baptism to be a post-salvation confession of faith, each time, I gained a little, I, each time I gained a little assurance, I felt like I should get re-baptised. Four times total. Honestly, it got pretty embarrassing. I became a staple at our church's baptism services. I got my own locker in the baptismal changing area. It was a wretched experience. My spiritual life is characterised by cycles of doubt, aisle-walking, and submersion in water. I couldn't find the assurance of salvation no matter how often or how sincerely I asked Jesus into my heart. I used to think I was alone in this struggle, but as I've shared my story over the years, so many have come forward to tell me that my experience was theirs, usually minus the baptisms and the OCD. So many that I've concluded this problem is epidemic in the church. Well, it's an interesting account, isn't it, of one man's struggle with faith and assurance. And I think it resonates with a lot of people. Uh, the more I talk to people, the more I realise how 
relevant this is uh, to us, to each one of us. It resonates with my own six or seven, possibly longer, experience of wrestling with assurance of salvation. One of my lecturers at Bible College uh, said once that after being in the ministry for uh, a number of years, for for, uh, four or five years, he stopped asking when he went to visit people, the first question, he, he stopped asking, do you believe in Jesus? And he started asking, do you know that you're saved? And he found that most people would answer yes to the question, do you believe in Jesus? But almost nobody would answer yes to the question, do you know that you belong to Christ? Well, 1 John is a book that addresses that very question. Do I belong to Jesus? Some people uh, in the history of the church have thought that you could never really know whether you're a genuine Christian or not. Uh, Many Christians practically believe that they can never know whether they're a genuine Christian or not. In fact, assurance of salvation was one of the key issues of the Reformation, surprisingly enough. Uh, The Catholic Church taught that it was heretical and presumptuous to claim that you knew that you were saved by Christ. And the Reformers said that that wasn't true. They said that you could actually know and the Bible said that you could know. There have been uh, many churches throughout history that have held a similar position uh, to the Catholic Church, if not in theory, at least in practice. One of my lecturers told me that growing up, another lecturer told me that when he was growing up uh, in the church that he went to, almost nobody went to the Lord's Supper uh, when it was held because almost nobody felt confident that they were a true Christian. Well, the Bible teaches that there is such a thing as assurance of salvation. Time and again, the Bible speaks about people who know, who know for certain where they stand before God. So John 14:20 Jesus says to his disciples, "On that day you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me, and I am in you." They'd know their relationship with Jesus Christ. Romans 8:16 The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. 2 Corinthians 5:6 Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. 1 Peter 1 verse 8 Though you have not seen him you love him and even though you do not see him now you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith the salvation of your souls. 1 John 5:19 We know that we are the children of God and that the whole world is under control of the evil one. John writes in the first chapter in verse 4 we write this to make our joy complete. What does he mean by that? Well, we read it before in chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Why is John writing the letter of 1 John to those first recipients? He's writing it so that they would know that they have eternal life. In uh, chapter 2, verse 18... John writes about people who had abandoned the faith, people who'd been part of that church, who'd received the letter and who had abandoned the faith. He says, Dear dear children, this is the last hour and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, 
they would have remained with us but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. What had happened was that there were people in the church who'd gone out from the church uh, and the division that that, that had caused and the kinds of things that those people were teaching had kind of shattered the assurance of these Christians. It's not exactly clear, I don't think, Uh, in what way that had shattered their assurance. It may be, one possibility I think might be that these Christians were were left behind in the church and they were thinking, well, if these people have abandoned the faith, how do I know that I won't do that same thing? How do I know that if they weren't really ever part of us, if they weren't ever truly saved, how do I know that I'm truly saved? We were both in the same church. Or it may be that these people who had gone out were claiming that in order to be a true Christian you needed to have a special knowledge, a special experience, something that these other Christians that John was writing to hadn't had. Whatever it is, these early Christians had had their assurance of salvation shaken and John writes so that they would know that they have eternal life. Well, you might have had your assurance of salvation shaken. You might have seen friends or family or people that you know and love leave the church, leave the faith. People who once seemed to be strong Christians. And you might ask yourself, how can I know that I'm not going to do the same thing? How can I know that I truly belong to Christ? Well, John writes this letter so that you would know whether or not you're in the faith. Or maybe like J.D. Gree, you've spent your life asking Jesus into your heart. Perhaps you don't feel any more a Christian today than you were five years ago and you wonder whether or not you really believe in Jesus. Well, John writes this letter so that you would know whether or not you are in the faith. Maybe you feel like a terrible hypocrite and, all, your, and, and uh, all you see in your life is sin and yet you keep asking God to deliver you and to set you free. John writes this letter for you so that you would know whether or not you are in the faith. There is such a thing then as assurance of salvation But it's important to know and to understand that assurance of salvation and faith aren't exactly the same things. Uh, It helps to compare what John says about the purpose of his gospel with the purpose of this letter. So if you've got your Bible still there, turn back to the Gospel of John, to John chapter 20. John chapter 20 and verse 30 and John writes there the purpose of his gospel. Why did he write the gospel of John? He says Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book 
But these are written, that is all the things that I've written so far, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So why did John write his gospel? He wrote with an evangelistic purpose so that you would know Christ, so that you would know who Christ is, what he's done, that he's the Son of God, that he's the Messiah come to save people from their sin. And then if you look back again at uh, John's letter in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, John uses almost an identical phrase 1 John 5.13 I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So he's writing, he's, he's writing to people who believe. He's not writing to people who are indifferent but to people who believe, who claim an allegiance to Christ. And he's saying I'm writing so that you would know, so that you would have assurance of faith. In other words, it's possible to have saving faith but to lack the assurance of that salvation, of the, the assurance of faith. It's for that very reason that the Bible is always urging Christians to pursue assurance. So Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never fall. Uh, or... Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realise that Christ is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? Or Hebrews chapter 6, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. In other words, we shouldn't simply put our feet up and wait for assurance to come and kind of hope that one day it will just spring upon us but we ought to pursue it. What happens if we don't pursue full assurance of faith? I think there are two uh, equal... No, they're not equal actually. There's two problems uh, and, and they're opposite problems. One is more serious than the other and the first is the most serious. Uh, and John addresses both of them but the first danger and the most serious danger is that we might be falsely assured... So we might think that we belong to Jesus when we don't. John warns uh, in his letter about the false claims that some people make that don't match with reality. So 1 verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Or 1 verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Or as Jesus famously says in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons? 
and perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Why should we pursue assurance and test ourselves and examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith? The reason is we might, because we might be gravely deceived about where we stand with God. In fact, one of the most important aspects of being part of a Christian community is that we test and examine each other, not because we want to be nitpicky and miserable, but because we want to know that we really do belong to God. We want to keep ourselves from being deceived by sin's deceitfulness. So the first and the gravest danger of not pursuing assurance is that we might be self-deceived. We might think we're saved, but we're not. But the second danger is not as catastrophic as the first, but it's still crippling. If we don't pursue assurance of faith, and we are truly saved, the result is that we become useless and ineffective in Christian service and the Christian life becomes very hard. So if we don't pursue assurance of faith and we are truly saved, the result is, not having assurance, is that we become useless and effective in Christian service and our Christian life becomes very hard. So without assurance of salvation, there's no gospel joy. How can you enjoy salvation in Jesus if you don't know that you have it? How can you sing and worship God for all that he's done in Christ if at best you can say, Lord, thank you that you died for some people and maybe for me? Without the joy of the gospel, without assurance of salvation, what kind of recommendation are we for the gospel? Martin Lloyd-Jones addresses that in his book Spiritual Depression. He says, what kind of recommendation for the gospel are depressed, not clinically depressed, but discouraged Christians? They're no recommendation. Here's the witness. Believe in Christ for salvation and be like me unsure, unhappy, miserable, not knowing where I stand. Without joy in the gospel, how can we ever be motivated to take the gospel to other people? We're so, so busy thinking about, am I really saved? How can, that, how can our joy in the gospel possibly fuel us to be evangelists? If all the time we're inward-looking, could I possibly be a Christian? Without assurance of salvation, how can you ever face death well? It's one of the saddest things, I think, to see people who fail to pursue assurance in life and they get to the end of their life and they don't know that they belong to Christ. And they die so sad and they fight 
because they've never taken God's command seriously to pursue assurance and to see and to know the joy of being in Christ and knowing that you are in Christ. No, it's right the Bible tells us to make every effort to know that we belong to Jesus. John says, I write this to you, to us, so that you who believe might know that you have eternal life. So there is such a thing as assurance of faith and that's not quite the same thing as faith itself. Uh, You might be falsely assured without true saving faith and you might be truly saved without experiencing the assurance of faith. And over the next uh, couple of weeks we'll see as we go through 1 John some of the tests that John gives us so that we can know whether or not we really belong to God. But already here in these first few verses John gives us the chief ground of our assurance. People often like to distinguish between the chief ground of assurance and the secondary grounds of assurance and the chief ground of assurance John gives us here in these first verses he basically says your great ground of hope is in the gospel that we preach to you the message about Jesus that we have proclaimed. Verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The chief means of our assurance is not some addition to the gospel, but the chief means of our assurance is found in believing the gospel more and more deeply and applying the gospel more and more to our doubts and our fears. Let me say that again. The chief means of our assurance is not found in some addition to the gospel, some extra thing, but it's found in believing the gospel more and more deeply and in applying the truths of the gospel to our doubts and fears. Please note what the chief means of assurance is not. It is not and never has been a great conversion experience. The chief means of assurance is not a moment of profound crisis where you called out to God. The chief means of assurance of salvation is not a great feeling, not a great feeling that you had while you were singing a song in church. The chief means of assurance is the gospel itself. I've known uh, many fine Christian men and women and maybe you have as well, who have had no great conversion experience. They grew up in the church and they are fine Christian men and women. I've also known people who have had profound conversion experiences, visions, lights, great moments of repentance, feelings of profound peace, but they were people who'd never believed the gospel. People who didn't understand the gospel. People who never demonstrated the fruit of faith which comes from the Holy Spirit. 
The Bible tells us the devil is more than able to dress himself up as an angel of light. Great conversion experiences and great feelings and great moments of crisis have never been and never will be great assurance of faith. I think those things are important to say. I think those things are particularly important to say to us as a church Uh, because this church was founded by people, many of whom had profound experiences of discovering the gospel. And that's a wonderful blessing from God. Please don't misunderstand me. But when you search through church history, you find that one of the results of that often is that the next generation of Christians lacks assurance. Often you see where there have been great and spectacular, visible workings of God, that sometimes the danger is that we begin to look away from the gospel and the chief means of assurance in the gospel and look to other things like experience and feelings. No, the chief means of our assurance is not our experience but it's the gospel and the application of the gospel to our lives. So what does that look like? Well, you might suffer greatly and you might be having a miserable, difficult life. And then you say to yourself, with Job, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. That's applying the gospel to your life. (laughs) It doesn't matter what's going on now. I'm going to trust God. Or you might be sorely tempted to give up and to abandon the faith And you might say to yourself, where else have we to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. That's applying the gospel to our doubts and our fears. You might fall into sin and be tempted to atone for your sin or try to atone for your sin by wallowing in guilt and misery. But then you say to yourself, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I don't need to to make myself feel bad because Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty of my sins. You might think I deserve to be cast into hell and then say to yourself, Christ was cast into hell so that I would never be you might say, but I haven't said the right words or the right prayer. I haven't, I haven't meant it as much as I could. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You might think to yourself, I'm a hypocrite. But then you think with Paul, who can rescue me from this body of death? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The more we apply the gospel promises to our lives, the more our assurance grows because the more we trust God and trust what he has said. 
The more we we pray those truths back to God, the more God stirs our hearts to have confidence in those promises. The more we apply the gospel promises to our lives, the more we see that we do have faith because we are applying the gospel promises to our lives. It's true that as we go through this book, as we go through 1 John, we'll see that John tells his readers to look at their lives, to test their lives, to see what God is doing in their lives. But he always grounds that in the reality of the gospel. And unless the chief means of our assurance is the gospel and always the gospel, what we end up doing is becoming desperate and discouraged by continual introspection, by always looking in. One of the Puritans said, and that's good advice, for every one look we take at ourselves, we should take ten looks at Christ. We're not saved by introspection. We're saved by fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Are you a Christian? It's an important question to ask. If your first thought is anything other than yes, I died with Christ and I have been raised with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places. If your first thought is anything else other than that, Christ-based, then flee to Christ. Give your life to Christ. Believe in him. Plead with him. Take him at his word. Wrestle with him. You said that you would save whoever comes to you. Well, save me. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away, says Jesus, for this is my Father's will, that whoever looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. Let me pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you that you have sent your Son to die for us, to save us, to rescue us when we couldn't rescue ourselves. Lord, thank you that you have given to us to hear this great and incredible good news. But Lord, some of us are tried by doubts and fears and the lack of assurance. Lord, we want to be saved and we don't know if we are. Lord, strengthen our hearts, we pray. We ask that you would help us to pursue that full assurance of faith and that joy which comes from the gospel of knowing that we belong to Christ. Lord, perhaps others of us as well are wrongly assured and we think we believe and that we trust in Christ but in reality, Lord, we trust in ourselves, we go our own way and we've never given our lives up to serving, to following Jesus. Lord, help us to test and examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith. And Lord, as we test and examine ourselves, Lord, we ask that you would drive us back every time to the foot of the cross 
to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, he is the great rock of our faith and the great rock of our assurance. Strengthen our hearts, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.